Deuteronomy 26, uh, 1 through 4, and then 16 through 19, and we're going to be focusing on the last four verses of Habakkuk 3. A couple of announcements. First of all, you're already aware that we're going to be feasting together in just a little bit. How many of you are wishing that the sermon was over already so we could go downstairs? Mm, don't. That's uh, a little too personal. <laughs> um, just kidding. Um, that's one. Very excited about that. Celebrating, um, feasting with you all. Number two, um, you know, people, people don't like to draw attention to themselves all the time. Um, I like to draw attention to people a lot. Did you know this about me? I'm scanning over this way. Where did they go? Heads are down right now. I see you. Hello, Brummett family. How are you? Welcome back. You've been missed. Good to see you. And then, and then three. I've seen a couple of you filling this up, and I've been deeply encouraged by that. But what does blue mean? That's right. I think we just celebrated one, didn't we? Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? And so keep, keep going, y'all. Boom. There we go. Let's keep going. So let's turn our attention to the word. If you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word? If you don't have it flipped open, it's okay. It's going to be on the screen. If you would be so kind, would you read verses 17 through 19, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 with me once we get to it though. This is what God's word is to us this morning. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you've harvested from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket. You shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our forefathers to give to us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. Skip down to verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all of your heart and all of your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he promised you and that you are to keep all of his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in high honor above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Now flip to Habakkuk 3, starting in verse 16. Habakkuk says, 
I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the, Lord, for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Would you read this aloud with me, verse 17? Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the and the fields yield no food, but the body cannot offer the whole to the Lord. Therefore, the This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. So people do weird things when bad times come. I don't know if you knew this or not. Um, people do absurdly weird things when bad times come. Maybe you're a little familiar with the Great Depression. Um, people went to such great lengths um, to destroy their lives. Some People jumped out of buildings um, to, to end their life. But some of them persevered through really interesting ways. Let me give you a couple. Um, some participated in watch dance marathons where contestants continued to dance until they dropped. Did you know that that was a thing? That's what came out of the, the Great Depression. Um, crazy stuff. What else? Venturing into haunted houses. Apparently that was an invention, a touristy thing that came into play during the Great Depression. Lining up to see people sitting on poles. Another real weird oddity. Here's my favorite. Students swallowing goldfish for pocket change. I love it. What else? High-tech movies. We've got building soap cars that came out of the Depression. Even, even the great game Monopoly came out, of, came out of the Depression. If I can't really be rich, I can play games like the rich, I guess, right? comics talking about how political they are, and then finally turning into hit radio shows about the mask, Masked Avengers. Has anyone heard of that radio show before? Mm. What if we weren't known just about our weirdness, though? Christians are a weird group of people, aren't we? Look around. It's okay. Look around. Um, we, we worship a God that we cannot see. That's kind of weird to other people, right? We pray to a Jewish man um, who lived only a few years on earth, who was crucified and laid buried, and we believe that he actually rose again. 
That's kind of weird to some people though, right? We lean all the way into it. We worship him. We celebrate him. It's a little weird to people. What if we weren't just weird though? What if we were also equally generous? What if we were known for being generous? Generous grace, I believe, leans all the way, like it, it, it impels us, it forces us to be generous in our giving. That's what we're talking about today. I haven't had a money sermon yet, all right? If there was ever a time to pack your Bible up and leave, today's the day, all right? I'm already sweating about it, okay? It is a good thing to give. It's a wonderful thing to give. It's hardwired in God's people to give extraordinarily. We're going to talk a little bit about giving to the point of pain where we feel the pinch. Especially in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's prophesying a massive economic downturn. What would it look like to give in such a terrible economic climate? I don't think that we look at the, the situation that he's in, though, to get the feel for how to give or whether or not to give. I think we have to start back first with the expectation or the call to give. Current circumstances don't dictate to us what faithfulness looks like. Fair enough? They don't get to tell us whether or not we are faithful or generous. Rather, they ask us how to, we are to be generous in that moment. So let's go to Deuteronomy 26. We're hearing from the heart of the covenant. And this is what it would sound like to God's people. This would have been a retelling of, of God's commitment to his people and therefore them reaffirming their commitment to him. 18 and 19, this is what they would have heard. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he has promised you and that you were to keep all of his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made. And that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. And some of those expectations also include this idea of giving first fruits. Well, what's the idea of giving first fruits? It is the grateful acknowledgement of the sworn promise to the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the land that they currently lived in the, the, at that time was a gracious gift from Yahweh's own hand. And so they were making a point. Yahweh was making 
a point. All of the good things that they got to receive, it didn't come about by them working really hard, though they did. It didn't come about by, uh, you know, learning how to plant and when to plant. It didn't come about by ingenuity. It came about by his generous grace extended towards them. He's the one that brought them into the land that was flowing with milk and honey. This highlights bold, strike through, italicized. He's saying that giving, generous giving flows from a generous grace. Someone that experiences generous grace, we would expect to be someone that is generous in their giving. And every time that a person from Israel would offer something of first fruits, they would put it into a basket, they would walk to the priest, and they would declare the good news to that priest. Perhaps we should do that every Sunday that we, we do giving and offering, right? What do they say? <clears throat> I declare today to the Lord that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give to us. What would it look like as we did giving here every Sunday, every time that you give, every time that you serve, every relationship that you have with someone here, every discipleship group, every Sunday school meeting met on the premise of we gather together because Jesus is the one that made us and saved us. Every time that we sing together, we sing not because his songs make us feel really good and we kind of feel the spirit moving right, which are good things. But the primary reason why we sing to him is because he frees us to sing to him. The rest of the chapter in, in, in Deuteronomy 26 is a retelling of the gospel to Israel who was previously enslaved by Egypt and God frees them after hundreds of years and then leading them through the desert into the promised land. They're reminded as they give, this is the reason why you do. You might ask, though, that, like, Tim, I'm not Jewish. Um, I'm, I'm not a farmer. How does a passage like this, how does it apply to me? I would restate the point. An individual who has met the immeasurable grace of God will want to match him in generosity in all manners of life. As we've experienced the generous grace of Jesus, I think we're going to be called and compelled to generous giving too. I think we see the heart of that here. A heart that's been gripped by God's grace is a heart that is happy to be generous. And perhaps dangerously so. 
It might be easier for farmers who work from sunup to sundown even before sunup and all the effort and toil that they put into working the ground. It might be easier for them to see God's kindness and faithfulness. Like it's, it's almost like magic. You put a little thing into the ground that's called a seed and it dies and then you get food showing up weeks later. Like that could have very well been called witchcraft at one point, right? It might be easier for some folks to see how this is the kindness and grace of God when we just show up to a nine-to-five job and we can say that we work really hard and we pay our dues, we show up, and our resume's strong. I deserve what I get. Or you're a self-made individual. You own your own business. But we don't take the time to consider how maybe it, it wasn't just your awesome skills that got you into the position that you're in right now. It wasn't your ingenuity or sales tactics. It wasn't your amazing skill that kept you at the job that you're at for so long. Money has to come from somewhere else. Opportunities come from all sorts of places. And God puts you in these circumstances and situations for such a time as the time that you're in right now. We're all dependent upon something else in this economy, in this life, and no one is exempt from it including the strongest of us. And so that's when we're called to give as an act of graciousness, as an act of worship, as a recognition of God's good character and provision in my life. It's an act of dependence, communicating that all that I have is his. It's a physical act of generosity, saying that, God, I appreciate what you have given to me, but I want you all the more. I treasure you above all this other stuff that, that you've given me. And that really rings well in our gift-giving kind of culture, doesn't it? I expressly told people, do not, do not, do not get me anything last month. And yet some of you persisted, right? Thank you for Amazon cards and such. I'm not mad at you. I'm not. Why would you do something like that? I, I, I believe that you care about me, that you love me. You wanted to honor me. And I see that. I receive that. It's no different than why we would want to give our kids presents, right? Don't tell my children what they're getting for Christmas, but one of those tiny little consoles where they get to play those classic video games, Pac-Man and all the other Atari stuff, right? Why? Because that... My little boy wants to play video games with me, and he's not playing violent stuff. Not that I play violent stuff. 
but it's a way to honor him, to know him, and to join in things that he enjoys doing as well. And so as we give, we communicate value to a particular individual that we are giving to. And that makes sense, as Israel could say, without a shadow of a doubt, we know that we are treasured beyond measure. Though we are slaves, we are now considered honored above all the nations of the earth. If that's true for Israel, how much more true is that for you and me? Israel had priests. Jesus calls us a nation of priests. Israel had a temple in which they worshiped God. We're called the very temple of God. Generous grace impels, compels, inspires generous giving. And so now we come to a question, do you give in any measure? Do you give? You can, you can squirm around for a little bit. That's okay. I'm, I'm scanning the audience to see who's putting their head down. And we'll have a conversation after, after service. I see you. We'll talk after. Do you give? Or maybe you've faithfully given for as long as you remember and you've given consistently. Maybe you remember that magic number of 10, 10%. Or maybe you're new to the faith and you never really understood this whole giving thing in the first place. Maybe you're happy to give things that you like to give to. And there are things that you do not like to give to. Let me tell you, I, I appreciate the fact that we have staff and they get a paycheck, I get a paycheck. Um, that alone is not a reason to give to a church, though. I want to be very painfully clear, this isn't to pad a paycheck. If you decided not to pay me tomorrow, um, we will be A-OK, -okay. all right? That is not a reason to give. The reason that we give is because we want to push Jesus' fame beyond these walls. That's the reason why Israel would give. They wanted to elevate Yahweh as the king and greatest of all gods. And we want people to see that Jesus is the only rescuer worth worshiping, worth serving, worth knowing. And so those of you who have met the matchless grace of Jesus, who have not yet given, I would ask you, like brothers in the past who started to, they started to give as they met with Jesus's grace, God's grace, I would ask you to do the same in some measure, in some small measure. It's an act of worship. 
not tight-fisted, but with full generosity. And I would urge you to start doing it today because there's a day that's coming when you might not be able to give in the same measure that you could today. It's a day coming when you can't give the way that you want to, and I think that's what we see with Habakkuk here. If you read the the book of Habakkuk, you see a prophet who is very close to the God that calls him. And he's so comfortable with this God, he calls out, it almost sounds like he's complaining to him, really. And it moves gradually from this big picture of the world and how God is involved in all pieces of human history to little old farmers in Judah. God, what are you going to do? How are you going to fix it? How is it going to work? In verses 17 through 19, it's a very small world of people that are going to be very frightened in the very near future who are trying to make it as farmers, but their crops are going to fall and fail. And so life itself is going to be hanging in the balance. You know as well as I do, money, um, sometimes it comes, sometimes it goes, doesn't it? Mm. For some of us, that's just way too real right now, isn't it? Crisis can come in many forms. And so it can be because of health concerns. It can come about because of job concerns, economic situations nationally or internationally can plummet. Have we encountered anything in the past few years that have spoken to all three things like this? Anything come to mind? Is anyone's 401k still trying to recover? Yeah, okay. Mm. We're all too familiar with the fragility of life. And it's not exactly clear from the text what's going to happen to make Judah shut down as a country. We, we, don't, we don't see that. But it's so cool to see a prophet who is intimately concerned about justice in the global scheme care a whole lot about the individual lives of farmers that just work dirt and pray that something good is going to come from the ground. God cares about the normal, everyday individual. But with no figs, and no herd, no ability to offer first fruits to God, a natural question has to be answered. That is, how do we worship him rightly then? If he calls for these kinds of offerings in Deuteronomy 26, and he says, in order to stay in the land, you follow the law to the T, what if we're unable to do so? What if it's an impossibility to be able to give to him? That's the force of the passage today. 
This is what makes giving such a universal act of worship. Giving is painfully sacrificial. Giving is sacrificial. Dare I say, it may not be giving until it stings a bit. Does that sting a bit? Parents, those of you who have like six-year-olds or five-year-olds, right? Why would you have a dedicated playlist to a child um, that talks about, I don't know, Baby Shark when you don't listen to that kind of music? Does anyone love to listen to pop remixes of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star? Anyone? Was that a hand, Meg? <laughs> Surely no one would do that. We do that because we love our kiddos, though. Cardinals fans, how painful was it? I know. How painful was it paying for tickets to home games during a losing season? Eerily quiet. I think the silence speaks for itself, right? You didn't woefully, like it wasn't like, I don't want to do this, right? It was a labor of love. You giving, it, it was an act of sacrifice, no? Knowing that the season is shot, knowing that my phone battery is about to die and I have limited space, but you know what? I'm gonna download 500 of my kids' favorite lullaby songs so that they might have peace for a little bit, right? Do it out of love. until there's just a little bit of displeasure. It doesn't mean that we grit our teeth and that we hate our life. But we can give in such a way that it impacts how lavish we can live. We can give sacrificially in such a way that it limits us to where we want to go and what we want to do. It means saying yes to God, I want you this much. And while vacations are cool, you can do them. It just means that you don't do the most extreme one, perhaps. Who knows, right? Enough about the painful parts of it, though. Here's the final thing is that you're not just a giver. You're not just a giver. And that's, I, I, in, in part, while we've been talking about generosity, that's, I've wanted us to see that it's not just a matter of doing a whole bunch of things. Our activity comes out of an identity of who we really are. You're not primarily a giver you're not primarily a truth teller. You're not primarily a servant. 
First and foremost, who you are as made in the image of God, you are someone to worship God. And you are to reflect his goodness and his joy and his power in the world today. One is a function, giving is a function. The other one is an identity. One is a vocation, and the other one is how you live out your vocation. And Habakkuk feels this in his bones. Look at his posture, verses 17 through 19. When he hears bad news, what is his response? He both rejoices and takes joy. So there's this idea of both being very noisy in the midst of terrifying circumstances, joyful to the point where I can't contain it, and he's going to dance around. That's literally the etymology of the word. He's about to get down when it looks like everything else around him is falling down. It's not because he's happy in circumstances, but because he's rejoicing and taking joy in God who is his salvation. So we know the difference between happy and joy, don't we? You've heard this a million times. Question, if we've heard this a million millions of times though, why do we keep needing reminders of this? Why are some of us chronically disappointed? Maybe it's because we continue to mistake happiness and joy. Happiness is a friend that only wants to stick around when everything is good. Joy is a friend that's going to stick with you always and forever. He wants to. He's always faithful, even when your friends won't be, even when your circumstances won't be. Habakkuk's God is his strength and his salvation who teaches him to take possession of joy in spite of difficult circumstances by any means necessary. It's to take joy by force. So it's not about rising to the occasion here, though. This is a really heavy passage. And frankly, Habakkuk's posture it is, it's difficult for me because I like happiness and I like smooth sailing. Can I get an amen for that? I know I'm not the only one. This passage is hopeful, but it's really heavy. And we're left with a final question. If I can't worship in an appropriate way, the way that God prescribes and describes for us to do so, can we do anything? Maybe a better question comes to the front, though, is how can I have the posture of Habakkuk? When hard times come, an economic pain squeezes on you. 
How can I have joy and take joy? And how can I say that God is my strength and my salvation? I can't measure up to that. And so the weight of Habakkuk's call crushes me some days. But the way forward through this is to look at one who Habakkuk is pointing to. Like every other person or every other promise in the Old Testament, they're all pointing to someone that's better. And so when Habakkuk and his countrymen weren't able to feed themselves, they still had joy. Do you know of anyone in the New Testament who despite incredibly violent circumstances, marched forward with joy? Christ! Christ did! Paul said about Jesus, he marches forward to the cross for the joy set before him. For you. Jesus went to the cross to give his life. For the joy set before him to give his life as an atonement for sin for you. To give his life as a ransom for many. For many of you. And so we don't give just for giving's sake. We give for joy's sake. For the sake of your joy, we give. For the sake of other people's joy, to find their joy ultimately in the one that promises unlimited, infinite joy. That's why we give. That's why we can give our lives like Paul, who was being poured out like a drink offering. Because even in the most difficult times, the greatest treasure and joy that we have is something that will never, ever be taken away from us. And that's life with him. That's joy with him. His presence abiding with us always and forever. His promise to lead us home. So do you have Jesus today? Is Jesus abiding with you? If he is, then give generously. Give generously. Are you working through hard times? The temptation may be to to pump the brakes and stop. I would say, I would continue, contend, give courageously, sacrificially. Is giving a chore for you? Then learn, like Christ, who with the joy set before him gave to. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to make you famous. And that certainly means outside of these walls. It also means that you would continue taking ground in our hearts. And there are very few things that vie for control of our heart like finances. We pay our rent with them. You graciously provide food for us through them. You can purchase education with them. We get to do really fun things 
with finances. Your son said, though, where our treasure is, so our heart will be. So brothers and sisters in here, praying for them, those that might feel shame, like, oh God, I wish I could give more. Like, Father, the heart behind that, may it not be one out of religious obligation, but would it be one out of a desire to worship you rightly, truly, and and well? But for others in here that are cold to the idea of giving, my millennials especially, who don't want to give unless there is a, a cause behind it, I pray that you would summon in them a great well of desire to make you famous. Make you, make you famous through giving. We can fuel the mission of the gospel going forward. Not just in our neighborhoods, but all across the world. Jesus, the treasure that we have, I pray that we would use it well to emphasize, show that you indeed are our greatest treasure. Father, we love you and we entrust ourselves to you. It's in your name we pray, amen.